Chapter Eleven of Grace Harlowe's Senior Year at High School by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven: Santa Claus Visits the Judge. The moment that dinner was over, the judge was hustled into the library by Nora and Miriam, and informed by them that they constituted a committee of two to amuse him until eleven o'clock. He was their prisoner, and they dared him to escape. Next to Grace, Nora, with her rosy cheeks and ready Irish wit, was perhaps the judge's favourite, while he had a profound admiration for stately Miriam, so he was well satisfied with his captors, who triumphantly conducted him to the drawing-room, where Miriam played and Nora sang Irish ballads with a delicious brogue that completely captivated the old gentleman. At eleven o'clock there was a great jingling of bells, and into the room dashed Santa Claus, looking as fat and jolly as a story-book Kris Kringle. "'Merry Christmas!' he cried in a high, squeaky voice. "'It's a little early to wish you Merry Christmas, Judge, but I have an engagement in China at midnight, so I thought I'd drop in here a trifle early, leave a few toys for you and your little playmates, and be gone. I always make it a point to remember good little boys, so hurry up, everybody, and follow me, for I haven't long to stay. With these words, Chris Grinkle dashed through the hall, followed by the judge, who, entering fully into the spirit of the affair, seized Nora and Miriam by the hand, and the three raced after their strange visitor at full speed, catching up with him at the door of the dining-room, which was closed. Here Santa Claus paused and gave three knocks on the oak door. "'Who is there?' demanded a voice that sounded like David Nesbit's. Chris Kringle and three good children. Enter into the realm of Christmas, answered the voice, and the door was flung open. The sights that greeted them were sufficiently brilliant to dazzle their eyes for a moment. In one corner of the dining-room stood the great tree, radiant with gilt and silver ornaments. At the top was a huge silver star, while the branches were wound with glittering tinsel and heavily laden with beribboned bundles of all shapes and sizes, while the space around the base of the tree was completely filled with presents. At one side of the tree stood a graceful figure, clad in a white robe that glittered and sparkled as though covered with diamonds. She wore a gilt crown on her head and carried a scepter, while over her shoulder trailed a long garland of holly fastened with scarlet ribbons. It was Grace Harlowe in a robe made of cotton wadding thickly sprinkled with diamond dust, gotten up to represent the spirit of Christmas. On the other side of the tree laid old Father Time, but apparently fast asleep, his sickle by his side. His long white cotton beard flowed realistically down to his waist, and in his folded hands was a placard bearing these words, Gone to sleep for the next hundred years. While in the opposite corner his sister and the rest of his guests had grouped themselves, and as the old gentleman stepped over the threshold, a chorus of laughing voices rang out, "'Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas!' Then Grace glided forward and escorted the judge to a sort of double throne that had been improvised from two easy chairs, raised to a small platform constructed by the boys, and draped with a piano cover and a couple of silken curtains, while Santa Claus performed the same for Miss Putnam. After they had been established with great pomp and ceremony, Santa Claus awoke Father Time by shaking him vigorously, apologizing to the company between each shake for doing so, and promising to put him to sleep the moment the festivities were over. 
Then the fun of distributing the presents began, and for the next hour a great unwrapping and rattling of papers ensued, mingled with constant exclamations of surprise and delight from all presents as they opened and admired their gifts. The judge was particularly pleased with the little personal gifts that the girls had made him, and exclaimed with the delight of a schoolboy as he opened each one. At last nothing remained save one rather imposing package. "'This must be something very remarkable,' said the judge, as he untied the bow of a scarlet ribbon and unwrapped the folds of tissue paper, disclosing a cut glass inkstand with a heavy silver top on which were engraved his initials in block letters. There was a general murmur of admiration from all. "'Very fine, very fine,' said the judge, picking up the card, which read, "'Merry Christmas,' from Miss Barber. "'Miss Barber?' he repeated questioningly. Then it dawned upon him that this expensive gift was from one of his guests. "'Pardon me, my dear,' he said, turning to Marian, who looked half complacent, half embarrassed. "'I am an old man and don't always remember names as well as I should. The beauty of your gift quite overcame me. Allow me to thank you and express my appreciation of it.' Marian smiled affectedly at the judge's words, in a manner so foreign to her former blunt, good-natured self, that the girl-chums watched her in silent amazement. But the judge's inkstand was merely the forerunner of surprises. A sudden cry from Grace attracted the attention of the others. "'Why, Marian Barber, what made you do it?' Then other exclamations followed in quick succession as the Phi Sigma Taus rushed over to her in a body, each carrying a jeweller's box. "'You shouldn't have been so generous, Marian,' said Grace. "'I never dreamed of receiving this beautiful gold chain.' "'Just look at my bracelet,' cried Jessica. "'And my lovely ring,' put in Nora. "'Not half so fine as my silver purse,' commented Anne. Miriam Nesbit was the recipient of a cut-glass powder box with a silver top, while Eva Allen was in raptures over a gold chatelaine pin that more than once she had vainly sighed for. Even the boys had been so well remembered that they felt rather embarrassed when they compared their simple gifts to Marion with those she had given them. As for Mr. Henry Hammond, he had received a complete toilet set mounted in silver that was truly a magnificent affair, while Marian proudly exhibited a gold chain and locket set with small diamonds, which she had received from him. When the last package had been opened, Santa Claus removed his huge white beard, slipped out of his scarlet bathrobe bordered with cotton, and stood forth as Hippy Wingate, while Father Time set his sickle carefully up in one corner, divested himself of his flowing beard and locks, took off David Gray's dressing-gown, and appeared as Tom Gray. It was long after midnight before the guests sought their rooms, their arms piled with gifts. "'Come into my room for an after-gathering,' said Miriam to the girls as they stood in a group at the head of the stairs. "'Wait until we deposit our spoils and get comfy,' said Grace." Fifteen minutes later the Phi Sigma towels, with the exception of Marion Barber, wrapped in kimonos, were monopolizing in the floor space around the big open fireplace in Miriam's room. "'Where's Marion?' asked Grace. "'Gone to bed,' answered Eva. She said she didn't propose to stay up half the night to gossip. "'The very idea!' exclaimed Jessica. "'We never do gossip, but I think she has furnished plenty of material so far for a gossiping match.' "'And it looks as though we were in a fair way to start one now,' said Anne slyly. 
Anne, you rascal, said Jessica, laughing. I'll acknowledge my sins and change the subject. My presents were all beautiful, said Miriam Nesbit, who, clad in a kimono of cream-coloured silk bordered with red poppies, her long black braids hanging far below her waist, looked like a princess of the Orient. And mine, echoed Grace, the chain Marion gave me as a dear. She stopped abruptly. A sudden silence had fallen upon the group at her words. Grace instantly divined that in the mind of her friends there lurked a secret disapproval of Marion's extravagance in the matter of gifts. End of chapter 11